Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy 15, it's broken up into three different sections. We see this cancellation of debt, which is right there, really from verses 1 through 11. Then we have laws concerning slaves. That happens in the middle portion. And then at the end, we get this law concerning firstborn animals. These laws, they appear in Exodus, they appear in Numbers, and now here Moses repeating the law to this new generation of Israelites who are about to go into the promised land. Moses is giving them this law, and it continues with Moses' practical concerns for the people. We ended chapter 14 talking about tithing. Tithing, it's one of those subjects, I don't know how many people get excited about, yeah, we're going to talk about tithing tonight at church. And, and if tithing was difficult for you, notice what God's demand is in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. It gets even more difficult because he says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent Anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or brother because it is called the Lord's release. God demanded a sabbatical year. Every seventh year, the whole nation of Israel was to take a break from sowing and reaping. This was an agricultural society. Most of the money was made not on stocks, not on bonds, not on being a vlogger or anything like that, retail. Most money was made on agriculture. So it's crops, it's cattle, and things of this sort. So God basically wanted the entire economy every seventh year to stop. All sowing, all reaping. Again, if, if you thought the 10% tithe is difficult, how, how about stopping all work every seventh year and anyone who owes you any money, you completely release them and absolve them of all debt on the seventh year. This would show and demonstrate that you truly knew that all that you have belongs to the Lord. And it's a great question to us tonight. Everything you have, does it belong to you? Or is it on loan? Is God loaning it to you and one day he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I lent to you? What did you do with it? In Exodus 23, we get uh, the first version of this. In Exodus 23, verse 10, it says, Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall also do with the vineyard and the olive grove. In Leviticus, there it calls it the Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. That's in Leviticus 25, verse 3 through 4. Now, to be honest, taking a year-long vacation every seven years kind of sounds nice. But difficult for us, And this would serve as a reminder to the Israelites that the land did not belong to them. The land that they moved into, their farms, their vineyards, their pasture land, it was not theirs. It all belonged to the Lord and it was simply on loan. 
If you remember Deuteronomy chapter 9, it was almost humorous because God reminded Israel seven, several times in Deuteronomy chapter 9. He tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 6, Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. And sometimes we can buy into the lies of the enemy that we are doing so well because I am so awesome. I am doing so well because I am so holy. I am doing so well financially because I'm super good and all the people that aren't doing well, it's because they're super bad. Uh, there are good and evil people that are wealthy. There are good and evil people that aren't doing well. But every seventh year, this obedience would show that they did, in fact, believe that the land belonged to God and not to them. And also their, their obedience would demonstrate gratitude for God's kindness towards them, even though they didn't deserve it. Do we believe that we've received mercy and grace from God? And if we believe it, how do we demonstrate it back to the Lord and back to our brothers and sisters? Even today, our obedience to God, when we obey his word, it demonstrates that he is truly the Lord over our lives. That my life does not belong to me, but my life belongs to him and whatever he says goes. Our obedience to the Lord also demonstrates gratitude for God's kindness towards us, even though we don't deserve it. When you have to do something you don't want to do and you say, you know what, God has done so much for me, I'm just going to be obedient to his word. At times, that's one of the best ways to approach a difficult decision in your marriage or making, doing something for your parents or for a child or for a coworker, for a boss. If it's, something, if it's a difficult ask, as long as it's not sinful, you should be able to take a step back and say, hey, this person has done so much for me. I'm just going to go out here and, and, and do this for them to demonstrate and show gratitude. Practically, right, setting up a government, this would protect Israel from having a constant upper and middle and lower class. Without having any long-term debt, you were essentially given a fresh start every seventh year. Hopefully learning from your mistakes. If you were in debt the last six years and now you're given a clean slate, you say, you know what I'm not going to do? Get back into debt. I'm sure none of us struggle with that at all, right? But here, every seventh year, there's a fresh reset button. Hey, there's no debt and you can go out into the farms and collect free food for the whole year. If you had a series of unfortunate events, not everyone who's in poverty is because they deserve to be there or drugs and alcohol and bad decisions, but at times it's a series of unfortunate events that lead someone into getting into debt and getting into a hard place. But once that seventh year hit and you're given the Lord's release, you'd be exempt from that debt and free to start over once again. I think many of us can agree there's a big issue today with the great divide that's happening within our nation and many nations, this great divide between the upper and lower class. And that divide, is it getting smaller and smaller? 
No, it is exponentially getting bigger and bigger. Imagine if you would, if all the debt that's older than six years would be released. Some of you are saying, Amen, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus, right? Because it would be a reset button here for many people. Now, if you're the one holding on the loans, then you're probably not too happy with that seventh year reset. For us, spiritually, this is what Christ has done for us. He has given us the Lord's release. And if we've come to him by faith, then he's released us of all our spiritual debt. And he's the one that pays for all that debt and all of those bills. If you would, we could turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. And the Lord, he uses a lot of accounting terminology when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to our sins, when it comes to forgiveness of our sins, you will find lots of accountant speak, speech in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. It tells us, in this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This propitiation, we had a debt that we could never afford to pay back. So God sent his only son to go through all the work and all the labor of paying and settling that debt. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He has paid the bill. One last one, Luke 11, verse 4, it says, And forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, does anyone here, is anyone here grateful that God has forgiven them of their sins? I know I am. But are we happy when it's our turn to forgive someone else of their sins towards us? Now, we don't like that part that much, right? But that's what we need to do biblically. To the same measure that we forgive others, that's how God, he's going to forgive us. This word in the Hebrew for God's release is the same word in the New Testament for the word remission. And in Matthew 26, 28, it tells us, For this is my blood, this is Jesus speaking, of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Once again here, another accounting term. It's to release from the guilt or penalty of something. To give relief from, to cancel a debt. And I pray that each of us here have tasted of God's release in our lives. Being released from the weight of our sins. Being released from the condemnation of our sins. And that we would be releasing others to the same measure that God has released us. 
It's one of the difficulties with psychology. There's not too much releasing and forgiving that happens. It's just digging deeper and deeper and deeper into everyone that has hurt you. As believers, we need to release. We need to let go because God has released us of our debts. Back to verse 3 and 4. Of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. Except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You would create a loan business only for foreigners and not for fellow Israelites. Because foreigners, you were able to require the debt from them no matter what. But if it was a brother, fellow countryman, fellow Israelite, that seventh year hits, you were to let go of that debt. Except in verse 4, there's a clause here. It says, except when there may be no poor among you. We know that God was going to bless this land greatly, but what we see in verse 5 is that the measure of God's blessing upon the Israelites would be dependent on their obedience to him. The amount of God's blessing would be dependent on their obedience to him. David Guzik notes this verse and verse 11. He says, God established an economic system wherein no one had to be chronically poor. If people would obey the Lord, he would bless both sovereignly and as the natural results of obedience. And they would not be poor. Yet by verse 11, he states, for the poor will never cease from the land. Is God contradicting himself? Not at all. He knows that he's established a system where no one must be chronically poor. Yet he knew that because of their disobedience, some would. And there would always be the poor in Israel. Again, this is so sad because God desires to bless us. God desires to bless his sons and daughters just as any perfect father would. But his blessings grow or shrink depending on our obedience to him and his word. He cannot deny himself. And if we're going against his word, we're no longer going to be within the spot where God's blessings come out. It's all dependent here on verse 5. He says, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with all care these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. It's dependent on only if you carefully, notice you have to be careful, you have to pay attention to carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you. Is listening and obeying an easy task? No. Is it a simple task? Very simple, but it's very difficult. That's why we need to be strong and very courageous. It's so interesting. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, 
Here he says, only be strong and very courageous. And maybe you think, yeah, it's for warfare. Yeah, it's for fighting. Yeah, it's for preparing for battle. No, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. We need to be strong, and at times it even takes courage, even a good amount of courage, to be obedient to the Word of God. And I encourage you, if you want to taste more and more of God's blessings, there will be difficult times, there will be seasons of tears, there will be seasons of stretching, but if you want to taste the blessings of God, obey His Word more and more and more. So a big question is, did Israel obey and taste of God's supernatural blessings? No. Unfortunately, they went for 490 years without obeying this command of the sabbatical year. In Jeremiah 34, verse 14, he says, At the end of seven years, let every man set his Hebrew brother free who has been sold to him, but when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. They were not careful to observe. They were not careful to obey. In 2 Chronicles 36 verse 20, it tells us that God was going to use Persia and Babylon to fulfill the words of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. God is always going to get what belongs to him. Always. So he takes the Israelites out of Israel, lets the land take its 70 sabbatical years, and then brings Israel back into the land because of their disobedience. Now we jump to verse 7. He says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, with any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and to your needy in your land. It's so sad when God has to give us specific details because he knows the state of our heart. He's going to do it again at the end when he talks about which animals to give him. But he's saying, hey, when you know that the seventh year is coming, 
Don't start changing your business tactics. Don't start cutting corners with your brothers. Don't start now pulling out a bunch of loans. Don't start now holding back, giving, because you know you're going to lose it all. But instead, we are to give to the poor, especially within the family of Christ, with an open hand. Warren Wiersbe, he says, the Sabbath year was a test of faith, but it was also a test of love. A test of faith, but a test of love. God does not bless us so that we can become rich and just sit in an ivory tower of our own stinginess and savings. I remember the old Disney cartoons, and they had the the three ducks. I forget their names, right? I think it's Huey, Louie, and somebody else, right? They had a super rich uncle. And what would the rich uncle do? He'd open up his safe And he'd go swimming in all of his money. As believers, that's not what we're called to do. If you have a safe and you're swimming in money, you should repent, right? But the the reason why God blesses us is to bless others. Now, we should be wise. You could be wealthy. There's nothing wrong with that. But God blesses us so that we can bless others to the same measure that he's blessed us. It, It always bums me out when you see Christians that are so stingy. So stingy, because that's not the way God treats us. That's not the way we should treat others. And we're blessed to be a part of a church that is so giving. Anytime there's a need, anytime there's a mission trip, anytime there's a youth camp, so many of you are looking to give and give and give. From the beginning in Genesis 12, verse 2, when God promises blessing for Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation, And I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. You see, God doesn't just bless us so we can walk around saying, yeah, I'm blessed. No, God blesses us so that then we can turn around and be a blessing to someone else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love it. The Lord says, I'm not going to give you a specific number to give me. You should just do it out of your heart and as you purpose in your heart, because God loves a cheerful giver. This damages all of the health and wealth movement of people demanding or begging or passing the past offering one time, They count it. It wasn't enough. Hey, we got to pass a second offering, right? Because then now they are doing it and trying to pressure people into their giving. It's not biblical whatsoever. God loves a cheerful giver. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 11. And in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. I always think of my grandmother when I read these verses. Proverbs 11, verse 24. It tells us, There's one who scatters and yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. 
Here what the Lord says is that there's some people that they're so stingy with their money and yet it seems as if it's just disappearing. And yet there are others that are so giving and giving and giving and you would think this guy's about to go bankrupt because he's giving everything and yet the Lord increases what's going on within their homes. In Isaiah 58 verse 10, it says, If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. In Galatians chapter 6, there's a New Testament aspect for us. He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity... You might not have the opportunity. It's okay. But if you have the opportunity, he says, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We should be seeking to do good to others, but especially to the family of Christ. Proverbs 19, verse 17 It says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Again, the Lord, he's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the poor. Jesus ministered so often to the poor, broken, and needy. And he wants to use us out of our blessing to be a blessing to others as well. One last scripture on this, he says in Psalm 41, verse 1 through 3, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him into the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. One commentator says, you may give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. To be able to love your spouse, it takes giving. Loving your kids, it requires giving. A prayer from Robert Murray, the man behind the little booklet, Our Daily Bread. He says, grant us then the grace for giving with a spirit large and free, that our life and all our living we may consecrate to thee. Again, the Lord looks at our bank account and says, do you really love me? Do you really trust me? Is it all about you? Or are you seeking what you can do for others? There was a warning here within this section to not harden your heart, to not shut your hand from your poor brother. And there's a danger when our heart gets hard towards the giving And the needs of others. In Jeremiah 17 verse 10, the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 verse 40 that the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 tells us, Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, and willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may 
lay hold on eternal life. Finally, Hebrews 13, verse 16 says, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. God is blessed by our giving. God is blessed by our helping our brothers and sisters in need. And we have to be careful. I have to be careful. It's an area where I struggle with. God tested me this week, and I got a big old F on this. Very convicting studying this. That we are seeking to give to others. We're seeking to love others. And what they do with it at times, it's between them and the Lord. Now, if you see someone on the side of the road, they're inebriated, they're not all there, hey, you pray. You pray and see what the Lord tells you to do. Sometimes, lots of times, this last time at Walmart, grab some sticky buns, some honey buns, right? I figured this has a good amount of calories to get someone through a day, right? Just give them some food and be able to bless someone in need that way. Now we see these laws concerning servants, not servants, but truly slaves. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 15, when the Bible is translated into the King James Version and the New King James Version, it was really smack dab in the middle of the slavery that was happening within the United States. A lot of the slavery between the north and the south and just a very bad and poor view because slavery at that time was absolutely disgusting and terrible. Many Christians were part of the abolitionists to free the slaves believing that truly all men were created equal. So the word slave many times got translated to servant because a servant has rights. A servant can quit when they want. A servant can do what they feel like. But truly the word here is slave. It's someone that has no rights. It's someone that just does whatever the master tells them to do. And within Hebrew times, within Roman times, truly as long as humans have been on this earth, there's been a measure of slavery. Sadly, most statistics point to there being more slaves today than ever before. And that's largely due to the sex trade industry. Again, we think that through our mind and money, we're going to fix the problems here on earth. But the more we try to force God out of equations, the worse and worse things get. Within Roman times and even Hebrew times, a slave's life, it was directly correlated to his master. If you have a good master, you're going to have a pretty good life. For many Roman slaves, their masters would even adopt them, pay for their schooling, pay for their university, and even give them an inheritance. So it's all dependent on who your master is. And so is life. Because every single human being has a master. Who is your master? Is it drugs? Is it sex? Is it money? Is it fame? Who is your master? Is it comfort? For a lot of Americans, it, comfort is their master. And wherever comfort is, that's where they try to go. That's where they try to follow. Money, cruel master. Great tool, but a cruel, cruel master. However, if our master is God, if our master is Jesus Christ, if truly we are his slaves, we live the absolute best and freest life. Verse 12, he says, If your brother... A Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. 
And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. Within this economy, again, it's pretty interesting, pretty amazing, the government and economy that God has set up. All debt had to be paid. There was no chapter one bankruptcy, chapter two bankruptcy, chapter this bankruptcy, and a no fault, oh, I have a debt I can't pay, whoopsie daisy, couple loopholes, now I owe you nothing. Uh, driving in Miami, if you've ever got into a car accident, I'm sure you've tasted of this, right? Oh, they don't have insurance, they're, don't, they're not from around here, sorry, nothing we could do. And you have to front the whole bill by yourself. There was no no-fault bankruptcy in God's system. If you occurred a debt that you could not pay, you would have to pay it off by selling yourself into slavery for this six years. And with those six years of service, you would be able to pay off whatever debt you incurred. In this way, God would make sure that no one was defrauded. Then in verse 13, when someone has paid off their debt, maybe it wasn't a full six years of labor, but at that seventh year, you would allow that slave to go free. Now, what God says is that when you release that slave, you needed to be mindful that you were once a slave as well. Or for this generation, their parents in Egypt were slaves as well. And yet God redeemed them and God saved them. And what did they have to pay God for this redemption or this freedom? Nothing. He did it all in spite of them being stiff-necked. That's what we read earlier. And with this reminder in the back of the master's mind, they were to supply a free slave liberally so that they could start a new life, so that they could care for their family, so that they could now have an income or savings to begin a new life and not be free with nothing and have to jump into another six years of slavery. You were to give freely because you received freely. Because God was the one that blessed you, so you shall give it to them. This is found all throughout Scripture. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it tells us, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I think we taste of this, especially during the Christmas season. If you ever had to do a secret Santa at work, right? Do those ever go well? Rarely do they go well. Because you went out, you got this super special gift, you, put your, you bought a brand new iPad and you put that into the, 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 the sack of gifts, right? 
and then you pull out and you got a coupon to, for a free magazine subscription that they found in a magazine, right? And it's the measure that we give, that's what God's going to use to give back to us. And God has blessed us with so much. How could we hold back in our giving towards one another? When we're mindful, man, I was a slave too. I remember what they're going through. I remember where they're at. Lord, help me to bless them in the way I would have hoped to have been blessed when I was in their situation. The mindset for us as New Testament believers, it can go directly to our giving, but also to our forgiving once again. We are to forgive others in the same measure that Christ has forgiven us. You have a complaint against anyone, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Is there any limitation to Christ's forgiveness to us? No. So should there be any limitation to our forgiveness to others? No. Do you have to be best friends with everyone? No. But there's no limitation to our forgiveness towards others. Now verse 16 through 18, these verses are so special to me. They're also in Exodus 21. That's the first time you see it. He says, and if it happens that he says to you, this servant, this slave, is given their freedom, and yet instead he says, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you. Then you shall take an all and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. What we see here is a man that has been given free will. He's given free will, and yet he makes the choice. He gives a voluntary, forever submissive relationship. That's what he's asked for. That's what he signs up for. He says, hey, I'm going to voluntarily, I know I have the free door open, and you're going to give to me liberally to go start my new life alone. But because I love you, I love being with you, and I notice I'm always prospering when I'm with you, I want to be submitted to you and your will forever. And what we see is that this relationship, this submissive relationship is born out of love and good care. The slave says, hey, I love you and I love your house and I prosper when I'm with you. In Exodus 21, it says if he loves his master, if he loves his wife, then he will choose to not go out free. And Jesus, he, number one, is the first willing slave. He was the first willing slave that chose to voluntarily Obey his father's will. He's the first voluntary slave in Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8. It says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. What would the slave do if he wasn't going to go out free? A master would take an awl, that's a woodworking tool, and give him an ear piercing. So here he says, My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, 
O my God, and your law is within my heart. We find this again in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5 through 7. It says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard, and I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. This is why in Philippians chapter 2, speaking of Christ's humility, Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Jesus took on the form of a slave, being obedient to the Father. He had his ears pierced figuratively from the Father, and he obeyed him. The question is for us, are we wanting this voluntary submission? Saying, Lord, I'm not going to go out free. I don't want to leave you. I love you. Whenever I'm with you, I'm blessed. I just want to be with you. I just, I want to be your slave for forever. And we see this throughout the New Testament. Many of these apostles, today people use that word apostle and it's like a big badge of honor to them. But the apostles themselves, they liked another adjective more than apostle. And it was the word doulos, which is slave. And Paul called himself a slave to Christ oftentimes through letters. He even says in Galatians chapter 6, 17, From now on let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now for Paul, it wasn't an ear piercing. For him, it was being beaten and whipped and broken over and over and over again. But in his letter to the Romans, he says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. Galatians Chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please men? Or are you trying to please your master? A slave, there's only one option. I need to please my master. I belong to him. In Titus, Paul says the same thing. Paul, a slave of God. But then we find others also. In the book of James, James says in James 1 verse 1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, he says, Simeon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude Jude chapter 1, verse 1, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Finally, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, we see John. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves the things which must soon happen, and he indicated this by sending it through his angel to his slave, John. Friend, who is your master? Who is your master? Is it your own pride? Is it comfort? 
Is it the applause of people? Is it your family? Is it, again, drugs, alcohol, your dopamine system? Is that your slave? Is it your phone? For many people it is. Or can we say, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. He's given me the option to leave, and you know what? I don't want to leave him because I love him. I love being in his house, and whenever I am with him, I taste and sense his blessings. I hope I'm not the only one here that says that. Lord, I love you. I don't want to go free. It reminds me every single time of John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. Let's turn there quickly and we'll see. Not everyone that calls themselves a Christian, not everyone that calls themselves a disciple is going to stick it through till we see him face to face. John chapter 6, verse 66 Pretty scary scripture reference, right? 666, never good. But it is a fitting reference. John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you alone have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Again, the, the Lord in the free will that he blesses us with, he asks us, hey, do you also want to go away? Do you also want to leave? Are we deciding to stay? Because if we decide to stay, a slave has no rights. A slave has no rights. It's, it's always funny. You see Peter arguing with Jesus, and yet he calls him Lord. It's an oxymoron. You can't do that. A slave can't say no to their master. They have to obey. And if we are saying that we belong to him, if we are stating that we are slaves of Christ, to the Romans and the Greeks, that was a, that was a disgust. Looking down, you're calling yourself a slave? Are you kidding me? We, we believe, we buy into, we love our freedom. Is that not our culture today? Free, I have freedom. I have so much freedom. Today I'm a boy, tomorrow a girl. That's how free I am. I'm free to do whatever I want. I have all this freedom. I could do this. I could do that. All this freedom. But instead, God's sons and daughters should say, my freedom is in not being free. My freedom is in belonging to Jesus Christ. I am dead, and now it is Jesus Christ who lives in me. Finally, we come to verse 19. The ending is pretty quick for us. It's just sad. It's sad. It's funny that God just knows who we are as humans and has to write these things down, but it's just sad that this is who we are in our true state. Verse 19, he says, All the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify. That word sanctify, you should know it, it means to set apart. So all the firstborn 
males from the flocks and the herds. They are to be set apart for the Lord your God. You weren't to put them to work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. David Guzik says this was for three reasons. Number one, because Israel was God's firstborn. And this honored that fact. You can read that in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Second, because the firstborn was thought to be the best and was always given to God because God demands the best. And finally, it was a reminder to all generations of when God redeemed Israel, his firstborn. We are to give God our best. Right? Marriage is here. Husbands, what do you want from your wife? Do you want her best or second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth? In any relationship, what we desire is the best from someone that claims to love us. Yet for the Lord, we often give him our seconds or thirds or fourths. Lord, I brought you this Tupperware with some leftovers. Hope you really like it, right? So often that's what we do. If you notice in verse 20, he says, You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there is a defect in it, if it's lame, if it's blind, if it has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. See, the Lord, he knows us. We would look for the sheep. Oof, that guy, he's not going to make it. God, I found your sheep. I, I picked your sheep, right? That one, oof, that one only has three legs. Lord, three is for the Trinity. This cow is for you. This cow belongs to you. No, the Lord says, you got to give me the best. I don't want your leftovers. And oftentimes the, the, when it comes into our minds to donate something to the Lord or donate something to the church, when does it come to mind? When we're going to throw away something or get rid of something. Hey, maybe someone else could use this. Hey, maybe the church, I have this three-legged cow. Hey, do you guys, could you guys use a three-legged cow? I don't know what else to do with him. I'm going to take him to Salvation Army, but I figured the church is closer than Salvation Army, so I'll drop him off there first, right? We are to give the Lord our best. And even in verse 19, when he says to not work the firstborn nor shear the firstborn, the Lord says, hey, I want that whole sacrifice. I don't want you skimming off the top. It's like, Lord, I'm going to buy this truck and donate it to you, Lord. But let me put in 33,000 miles first, get the tax exemption, use it at the work, and then donate it to you. It's the same thing here. It's not to say, Lord, this lamb belongs to you, but let me get a couple coats of wool off of it first, and then I'll come and sacrifice it to you. You see, God gave us his absolute best. He sacrificed his absolute best for us, his only begotten son. A one of one that is absolutely perfect in every way, shape, or form. And yet our sinful nature constantly is looking for what is the easiest way I can sacrifice for the Lord. What's the easiest way I can make this sacrifice? We need to, we can go to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. As you're turning there, I'll finish up Deuteronomy 15. In verse 22, he says, you may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer 
Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. So the Lord's saying, hey, your three-legged cow, your messed up goat, you can't sacrifice him. You could eat him. He's still going to taste great. Just make sure you drain the blood before you eat him. What kind of sacrifice is the Lord our God looking for today from us? Romans chapter 12, worship team. You ladies can make your way on up here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. That word set apart, set apart from the world and sin, set apart for the Lord, and set apart for the Lord's work and the Lord's service. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And maybe you're here and you're not tasting the amount of blessings that you should be tasting from the Lord. Ask yourself, are you being obedient? Are you being careful? Are you being careful to observe and obey all of the Lord and all of his word? Ask yourself, are you giving to others in the same measure that God has given to you? And the biggest question from tonight is, who is your master? Truly, 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 who is your master? Do you obey the Lord and his word no matter what? Because you have no rights, you have no say in the matter. He truly is your master. You've taken that all to your ear saying, Lord, I love you. I love my family. I love being in your house. I will stay with you forever. I hope that's your heart. But hey, let's all stand and we'll close in song. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the Old Testament. Lord, we thank you for the New Testament. And Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you for the fact, God, that when we come to you as slaves, you tell us we're no longer slaves, but we are your friends, Lord. We are your friends. And Lord, we're not just your friends, but then you adopt us as your sons and daughters, Lord. And then, Lord, you don't just leave us as sons and daughters, but then now we're a part of the princes of heaven, Lord. There's an inheritance there for us, Lord. We will rule and reign alongside of you. And Lord, if anyone here does not know you, Lord, if anyone here is going through partial obedience, Lord, which is complete disobedience, Lord, would you open their eyes to see that you have so much blessing, you have so much love, you have so much grace you want to pour out to them, but staying in their sin, you cannot bless it, Lord. Lord, so for any of us here tonight, Lord, if we're, if we're fighting, we're having these two worlds fighting over us, Lord, may we let go of our sins. May we repent. May we come to you and repent from those sins, Lord, saying, Lord, I want you to be the master of my life. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for letting us get together on a Wednesday night. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.